Hey, I'm Pastor Joel, and just want to say thank you for downloading or streaming this message today. My prayer for you is that you're blessed by the content that you hear. As a church, our desire is to make disciples of Jesus, and we do that by helping people to trust and follow Him in every aspect of their daily life. So if this is something that blesses you, we just hope that you'll feel free to share this with others so that they might be encouraged and challenged by it as well. Uh, well, as I was studying this week, I read a commentary that called Jonah a reluctant prophet, that he was reluctant to go to Nineveh. Uh, I think Jonas was a rebellious prophet. I don't think there was any reluctance at all. I think he was just outright rebelling against God. When God gives him a message, he goes in the exact opposite direction. And so we see these things from him. As we've read this, we go, hey, he's rebellious against God. He gets a message from God to go to Nineveh. And what's he do? He runs in the other direction. Then he complains against God and says, God, these things are your fault. And then finally, we see that he hates his enemies. He has this nation that he has no favor toward. He has hatred in his heart toward them, and he does not want to go and offer them any kind of message from God. But when you think about that, the question that may not have come to your mind with the flannel board thing it's in Sunday school is, man, did Jonah have a point in some of those things? Like, was there something going on there that you just don't know the background to about Jonah's reluctance or Jonah's disobedience to go to Nineveh? And so then I think you have to know some of the background of who Nineveh is and the Assyrian Empire. Nineveh is the capital of the Assyrian Empire, and the Assyrians were wicked and brutal and violent people. And they had been conquering so much land, and finally they came against Israel. And in the process of Assyria gaining power, what we find from Assyria is that they were the kind of people who would rape women, who would kill children, who would impale people on poles and leave their bodies lining streets, that they would skin people alive, and that they just destroyed everything that they came in contact with. And the last thing that they had done was come against Israel. And you can read about this in Second Chronicles, but when they capture Israel, they take the king, Manasseh, and they carry him and so many other people uh, away to Nineveh. And the whole way that they drag him to Nineveh, it's about 300 plus miles from Jerusalem to Nineveh. They put a hook in his nose and they drag him back to the city. Like these are a brutal, violent people. Like it's, they're terrible and they've just conquered Israel. And so as Jonah gets this message from God, I want you to go to the Assyrians. He's like, nope, not doing it. And you probably would have the same response, right? Like if God told you, go to your worst enemies, go to the people who just destroyed you, go to the people who are violent and terrible and awful, you'd be like, nope, not just because I don't want to, but if I go to them, what if they kill me, <laughs> right? Like if you're going, I don't know if I'm going to survive that trip or not. That's pretty dangerous territory, God. Uh, I mean, God gives you an instruction that goes, hey, I'd love for you to fly to, I don't know, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, and I want you to go right into the heart of an ISIS terror camp and start telling them about my love. How are you guys going to feel about that? It's going to put a little different twist on the story, right? And so when we see these things that are taking place, Jonah gets this message, but instead of obeying God, he runs away. He charters a boat and sails to a place called Tarshish. Now, we don't have a whole lot of information about Tarshish, but historically, it's believed to be about the farthest place that you could sail on the earth to the uh, west from Jerusalem and still be within the known territory, right? So he's going as far away as he possibly can from where God has told him to go. 
And so as he gets that opportunity, he takes that opportunity, he travels away. Jonah's going as far as God's call as possible. And this is the part of the story that you're probably the most familiar with, right? Like he's on the boat and then a great storm comes up and we all realize that Jonah is asleep in the boat, that the storm, everybody else is freaking out. Like if you've kind of read some of the biblical narrative before, you know that when sailors become afraid of a storm, it's a bad storm. And so they're all terrified, they're all freaking out, and yet Jonah's asleep in the boat. And so they start throwing things overboard, like Kyle so glamorously talked about just a few minutes ago, the ship getting thrown overboard, like the whole thing, right? Like it was crazy. Uh, And so uh, you've got this whole thing going on where they're trying to to throw stuff over, they're trying to get rid of things, they just want to keep the ship afloat, and Jonah's asleep. And so finally, they're calling out to their gods, they're praying There's a religious aspect of what's going on with them, but Jonah in his heart and his rebellion against God, he's just sleeping, no concern at all for their life or his. So the captain goes and wakes him up and says, hey, cry out to your God too. Maybe he can do something about this. And then Jonah finally comes up and they go, hey, who are you? What's going on? What are you doing here? Where are you from? All these different things. And Jonah's response is, I'm a Hebrew. I follow the God who made the heavens and made the earth and made the seas. And that makes them even more terrible. They're like, your God is the one that's in charge of all of these things. And so Jonah's response is, listen, just if you want to get this storm to go away, they keep going, hey, just pray to your God. And he goes, no, I don't want to do that. Just throw me into the sea. Like he's kind of got a death witch at this point, right? Just like, I think Jonah in this moment is going, if you throw me into the sea, God might make the sea calm, but he also might kill me. And that'll be just fine with me. Because that would eliminate me from having to go to Nineveh. And so that's his thought process. They throw him into the sea. What happens? The storm dies down. The sea becomes calm. And Jonah all of a sudden is going, maybe now I can just drown in this water. And yet God does something crazy and miraculous and big and supernatural. And he sends this great fish to swallow Jonah and to take him away, right? And inside of the fish, as Jonah's in the belly of the well, or the fish, the great fish, he has this like mini personal revival that's going on. We read this in chapter two. It's a prayer to God that Jonah utters from inside the fish where he shows his thankfulness for being saved. He recognizes God's sovereignty and he promises to speak of God's salvation. So look again at Jonah chapter two, verses eight and nine. Here's Jonah praying to God. He says, those who cling to worthless idols turn away from God's love for them. But I, with shouts of grateful praise, I will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will make good. I will say salvation comes from the Lord, right? So in this moment, Jonah's going, God, have you guys ever been in this place before where you've like offered this prayer of going, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I'll do whatever you say. Right? Or maybe you've been so violently sick, you're like, God, if you just get me out of this, I will never eat junk food again. Right? It's just like, I'll never do that bad thing. I'll never, I will repent of every sinful thing and I'll never do wrong again. God, just get me out of this situation. Jonah's in the belly of a fish going, God, I will, I will take care of my vows. I will say what you told me to say. I will proclaim salvation comes from God. You want me to go to Nineveh and say that? Great. You want me to go to the Babylonians and say that? Great. You want me to go to Egypt and say that? Great. I will say, it will be my pleasure and my joy to say salvation belongs to God. And so there's almost this mini revival that takes place in Jonah's heart in the belly of the well, the fish. And so God causes the fish to vomit Jonah up on dry land. Now, we're not told exactly where he gets spit up onto dry land, but no matter where he is on the Mediterranean coast, to get to Nineveh, he still has somewhere between 300 and 500 miles to travel to get there, right? 
And somewhere along the way, as Jonah is getting out of that situation, he does what you and I do sometimes. He goes kind of back on that vow, right? God, if you'll just get me out of this situation, I promise I'll never be bad again. And somewhere along the way, Jonah's heart starts getting hard, I think, toward the Ninevites again. As he walks and as he makes this journey, he goes this 300 to 500 miles to Nineveh. There's something that kind of changes in his heart. But I love what happens in verse uh, 1 of chapter 3. It says that the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Like if you don't have that underlined or highlighted in your Bible, I'd really encourage you to do that because it's such a beautiful picture of God's grace. When we disobey God, when we turn away from him, when we go in an opposite direction of what we want, God doesn't cancel us. Like we live in a culture that's so bent on canceling people that it's just like if you make one mistake, if you do one wrong thing, if you say something I don't like, if you go against this group and what they stand for, we'll just cancel you. We will outright just condemn you and you will never have status again in our society and you're done for, right? Aren't you thankful that God doesn't act toward us that way? I'm so thankful that in my brokenness and in my sinfulness and in my faithlessness and in the times that I disobey God and I go away from him, that God's spirit inside of me convicts me and brings me back to a place of reconciliation and repentance and his word comes again to me. We need that hope. That's the grace of a God who loves us. He doesn't desire to cancel you. He desires to comfort you. Like he wants to bring his grace and mercy and kindness to you. So the word of the Lord came again to Jonah. And that's such a powerful thing for us. But again, like I said, somewhere along the way of the journey, Jonah's anger returned. He's going to go and he's going to do what God said, but he's not going to do it with a heart of love and concern. Look at Jonah chapter 3, verses 3 and 4. It says, Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and he went to Nineveh. So points for him there, right? But listen to this. Now, Nineveh was a very large city and it took three days to go through it. And Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city and proclaiming, 40 more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. Like that's the message. After walking 500 miles potentially, the message that Jonah came up with is just this idea of going, I'm going to give you an eight-word message. Some of you would be like, that'd be great if you could figure out how to do that, Pastor. Eight words and pray and let's get out of here. That'd be fantastic. Jonah's message is, destruction is coming. And he gives them just these eight words, 40 more days. And Nineveh will be overthrown. It's not compassionate. It's not poetic. It's not illustrative. He doesn't put a whole lot of time or effort or attention into this because guess what? He doesn't really want the Ninevites to turn to God. His heart's bitter toward them. He's angry with them. He knows the destruction that they bring. And so he goes not with a message of reconciliation, but with a message of judgment. 40 days, that's all you got. And then God's going to destroy you. And what's amazing about that? in that kind of message is that the people repented. Like the people heard that message and they turned their hearts. 40 more days and you're going to be destroyed. And what do they do? They start fasting. They start going, maybe we've got to repent of our brokenness and our wickedness and our sinfulness and our evil. And then word gets to the king of Nineveh that this is taking place. And so he hears the message, 40 days, and then destruction is coming. He goes, hey, we're all going to fast from the least of us to the greatest. And they start a fast. Everybody's going to stop eating. We're going to turn from our wicked ways. And then the king goes so far as to go, and by the way, don't even feed the animals. And let's dress in sackcloth. 
And hey, let's get crazy. Let's put the animals in sackcloth. Like that's never happened in the history of time that they're going, we got to fast. We got to dress in sackcloth. Let's make sure the animals don't eat. Let's dress them in sackcloth. Like whatever it takes to show the God of the universe that we're serious about turning from our wickedness, turning from our evil ways, we're going to do that. We're going to show him that. And so the king actually says this in chapter 3, verses 9 and 10. He says, who knows? God may yet relent and with compassion turn from his fierce anger so that we will not perish. And when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he relented and did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. And Jonah was exceedingly happy that God had won the day. The wicked people of Nineveh had a change of heart and he went home joyful, excited to tell everyone in Israel what God had done. That's what your Bible says? No, it's not in there, right? No, it's not it at all. Jonah's anger is about to be shown again in full force right after the king gives this message to the people. Here's what we read in chapter 4, verse 1. But to Jonah, this all seemed very wrong and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord. Isn't this what I said, Lord? When I was still at home, this is why I tried to forestall by fleeing to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Now, Lord, take away my life, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, there's a couple of interesting things that I want us to pull out of this passage and even some things before us, just for some background and context. Jonah's name means dove. And his father's name, we read that in chapter 1, verse 1, is Amittai. His name means truth. So Jonah is supposed to be the dove of truth, right? And yet what Jonah gets is this anger and bitterness and hatred toward these people. And so when he starts to talk to God about these things, he starts to tell God who he knows him to be. In fact, he quotes Exodus, he talks about the time when God showed himself to Moses. Remember when Moses had said, God, show me your glory. He asked God multiple times, I want to see your glory. I want to know you so well that I get to see you. And finally, God said, all right, Moses, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to take you up on a mountain. I'm going to put you in the cleft of a rock, and I'm going to cover you with my hand as my glory passes by you. But then I'm going to remove my hand so you can see the back side of my glory. That's all you get to see because the front part of it would kill you. I'm going to show you the passing aspect of my glory. And when he does that, he also proclaims his name in front of Moses. Exodus 34, 6 says, and he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, the Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. This is what Jonah's quoting. Right, but I'm going to put these verses for you side by side on the screen this morning. And I want us to see some things that Jonah does with this. And we're going to just assume, as a prophet of God, that Jonah knows his text, right? We're just going to assume that Jonah's not unfamiliar with the story. He's not just kind of making this stuff up. He's literally quoting from Exodus. And so we're going to just take that assumption that as a prophet of God, Jonah knows what he's talking about. So again, let's put this up there. I think we've got it on the screen. We've got Exodus. Go ahead and show that. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. That's God speaking about himself and telling Moses, this is who I am. Now, here's Jonah's version. I knew that you're a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love. Do you see anything that Jonah left out? What's missing? Faithfulness. The NIV translation says faithfulness. Some ways that you can interpret this and translate it is also truth. 
Remember what Jonah's name means? His dad's name, he's the dove. His dad is truth. He's the dove of truth. And so when Jonah starts talking about God, he goes, this is who I know you to be. I know you're gracious. You're a compassionate God. You're slow to anger. You are bounding in love. Here's what you're not, God, in my opinion. You're not faithful. You're not true. If you were, you would handle my enemies the way I want you to. You would destroy them. But you're not faithful. You're not faithful to your people. You're more concerned about the Ninevites than you are about the Israelites. And I can't deal with that. And Jonah's whole approach to God in this is that you are not committed to truth. You don't deal with our enemies. And throughout the book of Jonah, we see things called great. Nineveh is a great city. God sends a great storm. There's a great wind. He provides a great fish. And the one thing you're expecting to be great in the story is God's judgment. And he's not judgmental. He relents. He shows compassion and grace and love. He doesn't bring the judgment that Jonah wants, and it bothers Jonah. So what does Jonah do? Well, like any good prophet, he throws a pity party. Like Jonah just goes into a tantrum and he goes, just kill me now. It'd be better for me to die than to live. I don't want to be alive anymore. If this is how you're going to act, God, if this is what you're going to be like to our enemies, just kill me. Like Jonah desires death more than he desires people to come to repentance in God. But here's what's crazy. Jonah doesn't even want to live in this world where his enemies are given grace and a second chance. He seemed fine with it for himself. Like he was okay with receiving a second chance getting thrown off the boat into the water, having a fish swallow him and spit him up on land. He seemed okay with forgiveness for his uh, sins against God when he ran away and that God provided a storm and provided opportunities and gave him his word a second time. Like Jonah was fine to receive that grace for himself, but he wasn't good with having his enemies receive that kind of grace. And so we see these things play out all the time. And so with Jonah, God asks this huge question and he goes, is it right for you to be angry? Like that's, that's God's question to Jonah. Is it right for you to be angry? And Jonah, the first time God asked him that, he doesn't even respond. So I want us to kind of marinate on that question for just a minute. And I want you to think about that for yourself. Who are you angry with? And ask yourself this question. If you're taking notes, this is on your outline. Is it right for me to want the destruction and the judgment of other people? Do I have anger and bitterness in my heart toward a group of people or toward an individual And I just want God to destroy them and I want my vengeance to be found and I don't care a thing about their grace toward them, love toward them, compassion toward them. So what does that look like for you? You could throw out groups of people, right? You go, well, man, for me, it's the Democrats. For me, it's the Republicans. For me, I'm against this group of people. For me, I I can't stand this organization. And I don't like the lobbyists in Washington. I don't like all the things that we see. I don't like billionaires having so much power and control. I don't like that there are terrorists that are out there. I wish they would all just get their just desserts. Maybe some of you are angry at the church and Christians. You're just going, I'm, I'm here, but man, I'm so, I've got so much anger in my heart at God and his people. I've been hurt in the past. I've been through difficult things before. I don't know if I can trust you. And so we've got all these different places. Maybe it's an ex that hurt you. Maybe it's someone who abused you in your past. And you're just going, 
all I have in my heart for these people or this organization or this group or this individual is anger and I want retribution and I want God to divinely come in and just kill them. And if he won't do that, then maybe you're like Joni just going, I, then I don't even want to live, God, just kill me then. <laughs> like this is a terrible place for us to be. And yet that's what Jonah's wrestling with. And because Jonah's doing this, we do some of the same thing. We often attribute our human emotions to God. And I think Jonah is one of those places where God says, why are you angry? I'm not angry. So why are you so angry? Do you have a right to be angry? And that may lead us to go, well, God, why aren't you angry? Like, why aren't you destroying the people who we see as enemies? Why are you letting violent people get away with things? Why are you allowing injustice to take place? Why are you allowing these, these difficult things in our world that you could stop if you wanted to? Why aren't you angry about it, God? And so to answer that question, we kind of have to look at the end of the story, and we're going to see God's final interaction with Jonah as we get into chapter 4. We've already read it, so I'm not going to reread the whole chapter, but I am going to recap just a little bit. Jonah goes to a place that's east of the city, and he builds a shelter. I would just in my mind's eye kind of see, even from our property this morning, as you guys exit and go out, you're going to just notice the view that we have from this hillside up here. It's beautiful, right? We love to look over Bay's Mountain. We love to see all the, the mountains around us and surrounding us. It's awesome. But if you can just imagine, we're kind of up on this place, and we're looking down over a part of our city, that Jonah would have just come right up to the top of our hill and built a little shelter there east of the city. And here's why that's important and significant. Typically in scripture, judgment from God comes from the east. So Jonah has gone to a place where he's going to get a front row seat of the destruction that he just knows God is getting ready to unleash on the people, right? He's like, I found my spot. I'm going. This will be like some of you for the end of Fun Fest next week on fireworks night. You're going to be like, I'm going to get there three hours early and I'm going to get the best seat in the house for Fun Fest fireworks. And we're just going to sit right there in our chair. Some of you are going to do, this is crazy. When Heather and I first moved here, we were like, what in the world is Fun Fest? What is going on? And the first day we're driving around Kingsport, there are just chairs everywhere lining the streets. And we're like, what is happening? And somebody had to be like, oh yeah, people are coming. It's for the parade. We're like, when's the parade? And they're like, tomorrow. And we're like, why are there chairs all there today? And it's like, well, they just left them there so they'll have their spot for the parade tomorrow. And we're like, and nobody just goes and steals thousands of dollars worth of chairs? And like, no, welcome to Kingsport. It's an awesome place, right? And so you're just going, this is crazy. They have their spot picked out. They're just ready to watch the show. And Jonah's going, I built a place. I found my spot. I'm ready to watch the destruction. And I can't wait to see what God's going to do. And God does nothing. He accepts the repentance of the Ninevites. And man, again, Jonah is just so frustrated. But in this shelter that he's built, apparently it's not a great shelter. He's a prophet, not a carpenter. So it says he's got a shelter, but it says that he's also still kind of exposed to the sun. So his shelter stinks. So what does God do? God grows a vine overnight to give shade to Jonah to the top of his head. And Jonah's exceedingly glad about the shade that he has. He's so thankful for the vine. Loves the vine. The vine's awesome. So glad for the vine. I just love this vine. It's my little vine child, right? I'm excited about this vine. Some of you have fur babies. He had a vine baby. And he's like, I just love the vine. I'm excited about the vine. I love this thing. And then it says the next day God provided a worm that came and ate the vine and caused it to wither and wilt and die. And then to that, Jonah's response is, 
to say, God, again, I want you just to kill me. I have no more shade. So if this is what life is going to be like, I would rather be dead than have no vine. And then God comes in one more time. God says this, is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah's response is, it is. And I'm so angry, I wish I were dead. Now, here's the truth about God's anger and our enemies and Jonah wanting to die. And if you're taking notes, this is on your outline this morning. God is absolutely angry about sin. And someone would have to die to pay the penalty of sin, but it wouldn't be Jonah. And it wouldn't be the Ninevites. God's plan to pay with the sin of mankind is to send his son. He provides a sacrifice for our sins. He sends Jesus to be the ultimate punishment taker, to pay the penalty that you and I deserved. And so for Jonah, when he's asked this question, do you have any right to be angry about the plant? We kind of get an end to the message here and knowing that someone had to die for injustice and violence, but it's not your enemies. And then we see how the book ends and it's a total cliffhanger. So if you're ever interested in like writing some great Christian fiction, maybe you create an end to the story of Jonah, all right? Because here's what we get from God. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this plant, though you didn't tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. And should I not have more concern for the great city of Nineveh, in which there are more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and also many animals? And so here's what God's doing in the middle of all this, and here's where we're going to start wrapping this up this morning. God is revealing some things about Jonah's heart, and hopefully God's revealing some things about our heart that we're meant to read this and we're meant to end on this cliffhanger note and go, what are you angry about with God? What has he not done that you wanted him to do that you're so angry about it that you wish you would just die? And so God has this perspective and he says, here's what I want you to know. He looked at the Assyrians. He saw people who couldn't tell their left hand from their right. Now in scripture, here's the translation of that. They didn't know right from wrong. He's going, hey, these people... Jonah, they don't know how to honor me. They don't know who I am. They don't know that I'm a gracious and compassionate God, relenting in judgment, that I'm loving and merciful and kind. They don't know that about me, Jonah. Jonah, in fact, what are you doing sitting up on this hill? I didn't intend for you just to come and give a message of judgment and criticism and critique and harshness and destruction. Now that they've repented, Jonah, what if you, as my prophet, went into the city and lived among them and revealed God to them? They don't know their left from their right. They don't know what they're doing. They need somebody to give them guidance to tell them about me. Do you have a reason to be angry at the plant, Jonah? When you're really angry at all these people who are down here, they don't know good from bad, they don't know right from wrong, they don't know left from right. And here's where I think as Christians sometimes we look at our culture and we have the same judgmentalism and harshness and criticism about people in our world. We want everybody to act and think like we do as Christians. Guess what? They are not Christians. They don't think like you. They don't believe like you. They don't act like you. And that makes you angry. Why? Do you have a right to be angry at them? Now, let's be sure. There is righteous anger. God does call us to to be angry at certain things that are unjust, that that are wrong, right? We're supposed to move toward that. But God says in Scripture, in our anger not to sin, 
Like we need to learn to be righteously angry and not lean into sin and violence and retribution, right? Like there's the difference for us. That I want to be angry at the things that hurt the heart of God, but I don't want to take violence out on people to get back at them. I want to share with them the message of God's glory and his goodness and his compassion and his mercy and his love. And if they repent from those things, I want to walk alongside them and disciple them to know God so they're not blind anymore to what's right and what's wrong. And when you think about that, they don't know what they're doing. Does that remind you of anything in Scripture? Jesus on the cross with nails driven in his hands and his feet, having been beaten mercilessly and left naked hanging in the streets, He cries out to his father and says, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know left from right. They don't know good from bad. They don't know right from wrong. They need a savior who's going to show them the way of God. And so that's what we're called to be and to do as we think about this. This week, as I was writing these things and, and writing down some just thoughts, I wrote down, man, what would it take for me to go to my enemies with the gospel? What would God have to do for me to go to Nineveh? For me to go to ISIS? For me to go to whatever group you think is the worst thing on the planet? And then as I wrote that down, it became really convicting because I felt like God kind of was going, "Uh, you don't even take the message to your friends and your family that you love. And that's convicting, right? I've gone, we live in a nation where we have freedom to share the gospel of Jesus with people. And more often than not, most of us never tell our friends and family members, much less our enemies, about the love of God. We just assume maybe they don't want to hear it. It might be offensive to them. What if it hurts my friendship? What if it makes family gatherings awkward? What are we going to do? And even in the freedom that we have to share with our friends and people who love us and who we respect and love, More often than not, we keep that to ourselves. So when God goes, what would it take for me to send you to your enemies? The real question might be, what would it take for you to share the gospel with your friends? What are you willing to do to take a message of hope and grace and goodness of God to your friends? It really reveals a lot about our hearts. And I think that's where God is trying to get Jonah to a place where he goes, Jonah, you don't have any right to be angry about these things. And so last story, this week I was reminded of uh, a group of missionaries who had gone to South America, and I actually have had a chance to be in this place. Uh, Among them were two guys that are the most famous of the five named Nate Saint and Jim Elliott. Uh, And they went to a people group in Ecuador, just outside of Ecuador. I actually had a chance to to visit the Saint house or the Shell house uh, when we were in Ecuador several years ago, about 20 years ago. And, uh, and the story, it goes that they were wanted to take the gospel of Jesus to this native tribe who had, had no outside interaction with the world. Like they were isolated and alone in the Amazon jungle, right? And so the idea was, let's take the gospel to them. And so they did so much work to try to make themselves known. If you've watched the movie, it shows them flying overhead so that the people look up in the sky and see their airplane. They like drop stuff onto the beach so the people will know that they're friendly. They're wanting to bring gifts to them. Like, and then one day they kind of just land and they're like, we're going to go and we're going to try to make contact with these people. And instead of them being warmly received, something happens in the course of the interaction and the tribal people throw spears at these five missionaries and kill them all. 
And when you think about that and you go, man, if I was a loved one of those five men who had given everything they had to go to these people with the gospel of Jesus and to try to proclaim his goodness and his grace and his mercy, and they killed my friends, man, I would just abandon the project, jump ship and run home. Like go back to the United States and enjoy the freedoms and comforts that we have here. And instead, what happened for several of those families led by Elizabeth Elliot, Jim's wife, is that they took their families and they moved out into the jungle to live with the tribe. And they brought the message of compassion and hope and forgiveness to them. Now this tribe had been competing with another tribe on the island. There was all this hostility and anger between them and there was years and years, decades worth of fighting between these two tribes. And one of the things that they would do is they would go and they would steal children from the other tribe and bring them back and hold them captive. And when they met Jesus, one of the leaders of the tribe said, when we found this hope in Jesus, it took our anger away toward our enemies. That's what the power of the gospel does. That's the opportunity we have in being followers of Jesus, is that he takes our anger away that he doesn't let us look into the world and see enemies and everybody that's against us, but he says there are people who need to know the gospel of Christ. So what are you willing to do to share the message of hope and love and grace and mercy with people who don't believe like you, think like you, act like you? Why don't they? Because they don't know your God. They don't know the hope you found in him. So as we close this morning. I'm going to ask Ellie to come back up and we're going to sing one last song together this morning. And I want to just remind us of a passage in scripture from Romans chapter 5 verse 8. It says, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And again, I'll remind you what Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We can be angry at anyone we call an enemy or we can be conduits of God's grace to people. And so this morning as we close, I'm just going to ask you to sing this song out, reflect during this time. Our prayer team is going to be available on either side of the stage this morning. If you want somebody just to pray with you, we'd love the opportunity to do that. And just to show God's grace and compassion and to ask God to teach us to have a heart that beats for him, not to be angry at enemies, but to be conduits of his love and his grace, to ask God to change our hearts and to learn from Jonah and go, we don't know what Jonah's end story looked like. We have no idea. Again, go write your best-selling work of fiction. Finish, figure it out. We don't know what that ends up being like. Does Jonah die? Does he stay there until he just withers away? He gets angry because he's got sun burning on him again. The plant's dead. He just, what's Jonah going to do? But we have to figure out, and I think God leaves it as an open-ended book to go, well, what are you going to do? What are you going to do with the grace and the mercy and the love that's been shown to you? What are you going to do when you've been given compassion and love and hope from Jesus? What are you going to do with that? And how's your heart toward the outside world that doesn't know their left from their right, that doesn't know good from bad, that doesn't know right from wrong? What are we willing to do to take his message of reconciliation to the world? Thanks so much for checking out our message today. We hope you are challenged and blessed by it. We want to invite you to come and worship with us in person if you live in the Tri-Cities area. We meet on Sunday mornings at 9 and 10.45 a.m. at One Fellowship Point in Kingsport, Tennessee. You can also get more information about us from our website or our mobile app. Have a great day.